Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that because you're already listening to a podcast. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to The Box of Oddities wherever you access your podcasts. But we hope you give CastBox a try. The curator is greatly pleased with CastBox. We think it's the best. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So it's Saturday. Yeah, it is. And we've put this off for far too long. Mm. Feeling a little nervous about it. Um, I don't like waiting to this kind of close to the deadline type of situation. It right. makes me nervous. Yeah. Makes me way nervous in my bits. Well, we've had a busy day, a busy couple of days, what with the watching TV and stuff. Yeah. You know. <laughs> hey, I had a job interview today, and uh, you vacuumed? I did. I did vacuum uh, under our bed, and I'm pretty sure with the amount of dog hair mm-hmm. that I collected, we could build a new dog. Well, we've been talking about getting another one, so... Can I just interject something? Would that be okay? Because... You know, we've we've been together now for eight years, seven years, something like that. Been well, married. Been... We've lived together for seven years, yes. so probably we've been together for longer than that. Okay, all right. Um, and I'm still learning interesting and new things about you, uh-huh. which is exciting. Yeah. To me, sure. After all this time, oh, this isn't going to be good. What? Well, for example, when we were watching TV last night, uh, I learned that. Um, you're creeped out by the shape of the Travago spokesman guy's mouth. That's not nice. No, I don't want to say that. Cause, well, because it's not his fault. He didn't make his mouth that shape. <laughs> it just makes me uneasy. That's all. I'm in the kitchen making a sandwich, and you're watching Jeopardy or something, and I hear you blurt out, Travago guy's got a weird shaped mouth. And I love that about you. It just makes me uneasy. I don't know why I think that he's probably a lovely man. When we were in... Uh, that was judgment that's shared just between you and me. Yeah, but we share it with our friend. Our friend, the podcast listener. 
you know, you that's listening right now uh, while you're driving or whatever it is you're doing while you're listening to this podcast. We're just letting them in on our lives. Okay, so I'm letting them in on your life. That's... (laughs) Not nice. Okay. Um, <laughs> I've passed the blame now on to you. Yeah. I Yes, I said the not nice thing, but you shared it with the world. So We're both horrible people. Yep. We're not good. We're not good at all. So um, I need to correct about 8,000 things that I said, apparently. Yes. Uh, well, a couple anyway. That's why you started off with yep. something horrible I did. So it wasn't horrible. You, you it can was... kind of just even things out. I love, nice. I think it's Thank you. really endearing that certain body parts of travel website spokespersons creep you out. I think it's endearing. It wasn't as bad as uh, Hereditary and... You know, oh, the, the movie. Shook, 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 shook. Yeah, uh, that was pretty bad. Did you see that? Uh, <gasps> so, uh, okay, what do I need to apologize for? Scum Master. Yeah. In the segment we did about uh, strange job titles, mm-hmm. I, I, I said Scum Master. It's Scrum Master. Right, which sounds incredibly sexual to me. Yeah. It makes it sound worse to me. I don't know why. The R. It's the R. Yeah. It's a hard sounding consonant. I feel like it's probably got something to do with like that that space between your holes. The taint? <laughs> taint Master. That that sounds like an interesting movie. <laughs> the Master of Taint is back. And he's taintier than ever. <laughs> okay, stop saying taint. So it's Scrum Master. Uh, not scum master. Sorry. And then we got a, uh, a comment. Somebody said that uh, on another segment that I did, it's all my segments, it, yeah, apparently, uh, that uh, about uh, uses for corpse parts. Mm-hmm. And I talked about humanleather.uk or .co.uk or yeah. whatever. And uh, somebody wrote and said, that's an art piece, that it's not real. They don't really sell human leather. We looked online and it's really, I don't know, there was a comment on a Reddit thread that said that, that that was an art piece but all the other articles i saw they seemed like they were really kind of undecided about that right however finding the website now is very difficult so i I mean that could be because of either reason i choose to believe that it was a real thing yeah it's just more fun that way yeah i'm gonna get me a lampshade did you want to bookend it with bad things that i did to make yourself feel better you've been a little gassy lately Lately, <laughs> the yeah. the seven, eight, nine years, <laughs> <laughs> whatever it's been, whatever. No, my no. complete protein comes from beans and rice. What do you expect? <laughs> <laughs> so good, we've got that cleared up. Yeah. Mm. So you go first. What do you got? Well, I have two stories, and I can't decide which one to go with. So uh, pick A or B. 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 Okay. Spontaneous human combustion. What? Yeah. Oh, this is fascinating. Go. All right. Spontaneous human combustion is a term that encompasses reported cases of combustion of a living or very recently deceased human body without an apparent external source of ignition. Gruesome photos purporting to show SCH, as it's called sometimes, often feature a large pile of gray ash from which usually legs protrude, uh, sometimes arms, and nearby objects appear untouched from the inferno. 
Accounts often feature tales of blue flames emerging from the victims. The first time I ever heard of spontaneous human combustion was from an episode of Unsolved Mysteries uh, many, many a day ago. Which, by the way, is your ringtone. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love Robert Stack. P.S. I was doing some Robert Stack stalking the other day, and Robert Stack and his wife, back in the day, like find old photos of them. They are like Hollywood glam to the max. They're the most beautiful couple I think I've ever seen in my entire life. Just beautiful stackage. What was I saying? Oh, yes. Oh, most of this, by the way, I got from an independent article and from Wikipedia. The theory of spontaneous human combustion was first put forward in 1641 by a Danish doctor and mathematician, Thomas Bartholin. Bartholin. I've heard it both ways. In his uh, Historium uh, Anatomicarium Raritorium, in which he cataloged strange medical phenomena to describe the death of an Italian knight called Polonius Vorstisis. According to that guy, the knight had enjoyed a few glasses of strong wine with his parents at his home in Milan when he burped fire, succumbed to the flames, and died. The most recent death linked to spontaneous human combustion was that of Michael Faraday, who was 76 years old, and he died at his home in Ireland in December 2010. Um, the coroner tasked with explaining Mr. Faraday's sudden death at his home made the decision, which shocked a lot of people, of putting down spontaneous human combustion. Mr. Faraday was found with severe burns, lying on his back, with his head near an open fireplace. So despite his obviously having been burned to death, the sitting room was untouched apart from burns on the ceiling directly above him and on the floor beneath him. Forensic experts who investigated the scene at Mr. Faraday's home concluded that the fireplace was not linked to his death. And the doctor said it fits into the category of spontaneous human combustion for which there is no adequate explanation. No, I've, I've heard some explanations for it, but it, they're not really all encompassing and not totally convincing. But I had heard that um, the clothing plays a, a part in it as kind of like an external wick. And let's face it, you know, we are pretty much flammable objects anyway. Oh, for sure. With, with like our high fat content, especially those of us in America. Yeah. In his 1995 book, A Blaze, author Larry E. Arnold wrote that there had been about 200 cited reports of spontaneous human combustion worldwide over a period of about 300 years. Brian J. Ford has suggested that ketosis, possibly caused by alcoholism or low-carb dieting, produces acetone, which is highly flammable, and could therefore lead to apparent spontaneous combustion, hmm. um, which I think leads us all to the same conclusion. Like, do not diet. Yeah, don't diet. Yeah. Drink as much as you want, but but don't diet. There's, there if you're going to drink, then don't, don't, don't... Uh... Don't diet. Well, another um, thing that they think may be a contributing factor are a high-stress lifestyle paired with alcohol consumption. Um, almost all the people who are thought to have been the victims of mm -hmm. spontaneous combustion were either drinking or were oft to drink. 
I see. And there are some who believe it's poltergeist activity. An extensive two-year research project, though, involving 30 historical cases of alleged SHC was conducted in 1984 by a science investigator named Joe Nickel and a forensic analyst named John Fisher. And their lengthy two-part report was published in the journal of the International Association of Arson Investigators, as well as a book. And um, Nickel has written a bunch on the the subject. He's been in uh, television documentaries, which uh, I feel like maybe also that Unsolved Mysteries. That is not confirmed, though. The investigation looked at cases in the 18th, 19th, and 20th centuries and showed that the burned bodies were in close proximity to plausible sources for the ignition. Candles, lamps, fireplaces, so on and so forth. Cigarettes. Also, in cigarettes more, very common. More recent times, yes. Uh, they claimed that those sources were often omitted from published accounts of these incidents. Now, whether or not that is actually the case is hard to determine because if something's omitted, how do you know it was there? I mean, you know mm, what I mean? Mm, mm. Are Unless, you just saying it was omitted, or did you do your prime? You know, I mean, how did you go back and investigate that 18th century? Spontaneous yeah. human combustion, sir. There are no no living eyewitnesses, so yeah. I'm just saying. I had heard a weird theory one time that ball lightning was responsible. Ball lightning was actually part of that Unsolved Mysteries episode that's, that I had watched. That's probably... Came in through the window, which to me looked like a poltergeist, but <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh-huh. Um, the investigators found that there was a correlation between alleged SCH... Uh, SHC deaths and the victim's intoxication. As I mentioned, boozing it up equals spontaneous uh, flamery. Where the destruction of the body was not particularly extensive, a primary source of combustible fuel could plausibly have been the victim's clothing or a covering such as a blanket or comforter. And then, of course, as you mentioned, the wick effect. The wick effect suggests that a small external flame source, such as a burning cigarette or um, chars on the clothing from any any source, or ball lightning. Um, poltergeist activity. Poltergeist activity. Would touch the skin. When it split the skin open, there your subcutaneous fat is available. Fat burns good. Oh, it burns, yeah. Is my point. Well, well, they made, you know, uh, candles out of tallow. Right. Um, And then what happens then is that your fat melts and it melts into your clothing. And your clothing becomes like this big fat, fat fat-infused wick thing that just like burns real hot and real close. Which is why it only burns the 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 body and what's within Mm -hmm. and a lot of times leaves the legs because you know fire doesn't burn down real well it burns up real well yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense however uh, you know i've seen i saw one picture of uh an elderly lady who had um perished this way and it was just as you had mentioned before a pile of ashes in a chair Mm -hmm. and all that was left were her legs and one arm that Mm -hmm. was still resting on the armrest of the chair. So it doesn't appear as though she in any way tried to put the flame out. That was one of the things that they had talked about is so often the victims of SHC are elderly, um, 
Boozers. Boozers. Um, and sometimes elderly boozers. <laughs> With poltergeists at their house. Exactly. Those things might lead to, you know, you fall asleep, you're, you're still burning, cigarette falls on you, you've been drinking. Right. All of these things play together and, and make you into a human candle. Hmm. You know, I, I think it was an Unsolved Mysteries episode that I saw this where they, they did a, an experiment with a, a pig carcass because mm. we all know that pigs are similar physiologically to the human body. Especially Americans. Especially those of us from the States. They wrapped the pig in like a nightgown and lit it on fire and it did it burned like a like a candle like you said it kind of burned from one end to the other and the intensity of the flame even though it wasn't big it was extremely hot Mm -hmm. because of the fat content and it did totally incinerate much of the body including the bones so it's a very slow moving burn but extremely hot. Exactly. Which is why the the wick theory makes sense. Yeah. Whether or not there is an external source of ignition is the real kicker. And that is still highly debated. That's one of those things that I think is going to be tough to prove either way. But if it is a slow, intensively hot burn, mm-hmm. then clearly they're unconscious. At the time, they couldn't possibly... Or immobile. Or immobile. But but you, you look at, uh, again, some of the photos of spontaneous human combustion, and, and they look very relaxed, what's left of them. They were just kind of lying in bed, or in the case I had mentioned before, sitting in an armchair. Mm-hmm. There doesn't appear to be any sign of struggle to escape. So what you're saying is poltergeist activity. Poltergeist right. activity, absolutely. <laughs> Well, you know, the, the, the common theories are excessive alcohol mm-hmm. consumption, smoking, um, obesity often plays sure. a part. Did you see any case histories of people that were not just lounging about when this happened, like walking down the street and they just burst into flame? I don't recall any stories that did not involve a tracksuit. Yes, if that's what, <laughs> what you're asking. Yeah. That is exactly what I'm asking. Mm-hmm. Because if you know, if a person was walking down the street and just burst into flame, I think that that would be far more striking evidence of there being some sort of uh, unexplained phenomena there. No, I think I think that lounging is a, is a factor. So elderly, mm-hmm. potentially uh, excessive drinker, mm-hmm. uh, lounger, mm-hmm. Bag- velour tracksuits, yeah, flammable baggy pajamas, yeah. And it's been, like you said, 300 years or so where there have been reported cases of this. Mm-hmm. There are still questions about it. It has not been definitively proven to be this or that. It's just a big question mark still. So that in and of itself makes it interesting. Well, I hope so, because <laughs> I just spent 20 minutes talking about it. The end. <laughs> and you had mentioned a couple of the the photos uh, you can find them on the info webs. Some are upsetting and some just seem almost staged because of those little legs. The And you can almost always tell exactly what's gone on because of those little legs just yeah, yeah. kicking out, kicking out all Wicked Witch style. I actually read a story about uh, one particular case where the victim of spontaneous human combustion 
was a fire chief. How ironic is that? Don't you think? It's like rain on, on your wedding day. Stop it. I can't help but I love Alanis Morissette. I really don't blame you. Oh, I heard that they made Jagged Little Pill into a musical, and it's magical. I really would like to go see we're, it. We're going to go, right? I please. Okay. The Box of Oddities. It's not for everyone. This episode and that thing in the middle, it's weird phobia, strange fears that people have of various things. Shared without judgment because we've all got weird things. Yeah, Cat, for example, is afraid of the Travago spokesperson's mouth. I'm not afraid of it. It makes me uneasy. That's different. Number five, scriptophobia. That is the fear of writing in public. Number four, xanthophobia. Fear of the color yellow. It's a terrifying color. Number three, dutchophobia, which is the fear of Dutch people. Oh, no. I find them lovely. Like all of them? Yeah. I have questions. <laughs> I don't have any answers. I, I, I don't. Number two, turophobia, the fear of cheese. All cheese or just like processed cheese slices? Because I fear those. Sufferers usually associate cheese with a traumatic memory. And number one, sinistrophobia, that is the fear of all things to your left. Oh, that's got to be like a brain synapsis thing. Just a, Even just left-handed things and left-handed people, and you're left-handed. I can't imagine anybody fearing you. Really? I'm not intimidating to you? I'm very intimidating. I'm like a hearty stew. I'm sturdy. I'm of sturdy stock, sir. I think you're overselling it a bit. <clears throat> I have a very low center of gravity and big feet. You can't knock me over. I'm like a weeble. The Box of Oddities. With Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Do your thing. All right. And that leads us into my topic today, which is, uh, from an evolutionary standpoint, why do we do certain things, and why do we have certain physical traits? <gasps> we were just talking about this today at nap time. In an earlier podcast, I talked about something that I had read in The Dragons of Eden, which is a great book by Carl Sagan. And you're holding it in your hands I right am. now. I am. He talks about our very, very remote ancient mammalian ancestors, which were something akin to tree shrews, mm -hmm. and how they learned to keep their young safe by imitating the sound of reptiles, because reptiles, of course, preyed on them. And so they learned to make a hissing reptile sound to keep their young quiet. To this day, if there's a sound that you make to try to quiet somebody down or quiet a child, what is that sound? Shh. The sound of a hissing reptile. That is an unbroken connection from us today to our earliest mammalian ancestors. And that to me is fascinating. It sure is. And when we were napping today and you were kicks McGee all over the place. <laughs> Yeah, it was a startle reflex. I was falling asleep and I had the startle reflex. And that, again, is something else from our primitive ancestors that kept us from falling out of trees. And we still do it. Same with uh, what's called the, uh, the palmer reflex. If you're holding a newborn baby and you put your finger in their palm of their hand, they will grab it. And that, again, goes all the way back to our ancient tree-dwelling ancestors. You don't want the babies falling out of trees. So when I was looking in the Dragons of Eden for that particular uh, subject, I found this. It's about left-handed people. That's me! 
In our society, there's a prejudice against left-handed people. Would you agree with that? Agreed. This Unless is a- you're being put at first base right. in a baseball game. Sure. And it's not as bad now as it was in the 60s and 70s. Right. Because they would, uh, they would take left-handed kids and they would segregate them. In classrooms, they would put them on one side of the room. And the idea was that's, you know, so they could write without bumping into right-handed kids. Right. I, I get that. But they still segregated them. And then they tried to force them to write with their right hand. Right. It, they referred to it as their right hand. The correct hand. The correct hand. Meaning. And it was the same in sports. I mean, growing up, I learned to play softball as a right-handed person because nobody asked if I was left-handed or not. And you thought you that know, was just That was you, how you do it. That's how you do it. And so it wasn't until I was in high school when my coach, um, hey Liz, was like, wait a minute, you're left-handed? Because I was signing up for a sweatshirt and she said, why aren't you batting left-handed? And I was like, I don't know. So that's when I became a switch hitter. Well, why is there this disdain, albeit not so much in today's society, for left-handed people? According to Carl Sagan in his book, Dragons of Eden, one perhaps remote possibility is connected with the unavailability of toilet paper in pre-industrial societies. Mm-hmm. Personal hygiene after, you know, one would use the bathroom was usually taken care of by your left hand. Right. No, left. I may not know what I'm talking about, but neither do you. <laughs> That's true. I ain't going to argue that. Uh, for most of human history, again, from the Dragons of Eden, uh, and in many parts of the world today, the empty hand is used for personal hygiene after defecation. That is why we always shake with the right hand. Mm-hmm. Even today, if you shake with your left hand, it's weird. It's considered strange and not proper. We shake with our right hand because we use our left hand, at least at one point in time, you know, like for toilet paper. Yeah, to to get rid of the, the doodles. Which back in the day, sure, that makes sense because they weren't great with the uh, hand washing routines. But, you know, now I don't like freak out if someone touches me with with either hand because right. I assume that they wash their hands. Please wash your hands. It's so important. So I did a little research on our earliest ancestors and going back even further than uh, earlier mammalian ancestors, but fish that we ultimately evolved from. According to a BBC article, our face today is influenced greatly by our ancient fish ancestors. That little uh, a little thing right below your nose, between your between your nose and your upper lip, that little cleft. Right, there. where your cupid's bow is, is made. The, the philtrum, I think it's called. That is a holdover from the days when our face evolved to be a fish face. The eyes have come down much lower mm-hmm. than than they were when our ancestors were fish, as well as uh, the jaw and that sort of thing. So the pushing of that of the face, you know, being pushed down mm-hmm. into a human form, that is what that cleft is. It's left over. It's left over area from when we were fish. You're making kissy faces now. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine what my face would look like if I were a fish. (laughs) Oh, this is the stupidest sentence I've ever said. (laughs) According to NewScience.com, our ability to speak also comes from fish. There are certain neurons in the back of our brain that are identical to fish brains. 
that uh, are responsible for our being able to vocalize in, mm-hmm. in, in fish, it's to make sound too. But because we evolved with that, we've been able to learn to speak and to vocalize. Sure. And real quick, going to diverge in this wood just a bit. All right. Speaking of speaking, can we have a moment for Coco? Coco the uh, gorilla? The sign language yeah. gorilla. Yeah, Coco passed away. Uh. I'm so sad. And it's just amazing to me that... Um, you know, he spoke without speaking and made up his own words. Like when he was given watermelon, he didn't know what it was. So he made a, he combined two words that he knew water candy, water candy. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't yeah. mean to bring the party down. I just, we were talking about speaking and it yeah. made me think of Coco and I just, it's okay. It's all, all ties in. Um, gill arches in fish evolved over time into parts of our lower jaw. Human embryos are basically identical to fish, according to Discovery Magazine. Look at that. Look at this photo. I'm gonna we, maybe we can post that on social media. Look at that. All along the top row, those are all embryos at a certain stage: human, fish, bird, reptile. Oh wow! They're all almost identical. That's that's amazing. And then the lower photo is. Oh, the, I see. So yeah. that's that's that, and that's that. Okay. Yep. Where did you get this? That's amazing. That that came from Discovery Magazine. Ew, that looks gross. That bird's cuter than we are. We of course all start as a single cell, and from that cell comes everything from us to worms to penguins to whatever. And that's because the fish body structures are the basis for for all of these things. Mm. Now, both fish and human embryos both have gill arches in the neck region. In fish, these become gills. However, in humans, they morph into parts of the jaw and the middle ear and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I remember reading about a part of the jaw that has some sort of groove in it that the the groove is how they discovered that it's it's from our fish ancestors. In the, that in that's the jaw? Why. Yeah. No, the groove is in the heart. Groove is in the heart. Do you ever see that episode of How I Met Your Mother when Barney and Robin dance to that song? Yes, yes. Neil Patrick Harris is a treat. That's the point of my story. I want to meet Neil Patrick Harris one day. So if anybody listening knows Neil Patrick Harris, Mm -hmm. have him shoot us a message because I just want to hang out with the guy. He's so cool. I'm sure you're not the only one. He's probably got a list of just want to hang out with the guys. That's true. And I have very little to offer. That's not true. You can tell them all about Scum Masters. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. All right, the human ear also comes from fish. There's evidence to suggest that this feature, like so many others, uh, came from our ancient fish ancestors. Again, part of uh, the gills, you know, what's what's in our embryo mm-hmm. that eventually turns into gills in a fish, turn into uh, ears. And a structure called the, the hyomandibula in fish, which protruded into the gills, created the chamber where it would later be amplified in mammals. The sound would be amplified. So it's oh. a direct correlation there. Now, from the University of Chicago website, a study that was done that talks about breathing in humans controlled mainly by the brainstem. <gasps> we were talking about this with hiccups the other day. 
The brainstem sends signals to uh, the primary breathing muscles in human beings, and it causes it to expand and, and contract, mm -hmm. which makes us breathe. It's also, of course, responsible for making all animals breathe. And it came from our fish ancestors. Since the signals have to travel much further in human beings than in fish, sometimes they get short-circuited. Sometimes they meet some interference and it causes a, uh, a spasm. The spasm will cue a quick inhale and a swift closure. The spasm, of course, is what we call hiccups. So when you get hiccups, you can thank a trout. I always do. I know. That's what I love about you. A groove is in the heart. That is fascinating. See, now all this time I thought the hiccups were Obama's fault. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Obama. <clears throat> That's one of those things, and I think it was one of the first things that you and I talked about very early on in getting to know each other, um, was yeah. like our true shrew ancestors and how that jazzed us both up. <laughs> yep. It was yep. like, oh. That's cool. Yeah. All the way back. Startle and... reflex, huh? Yeah. Let's... Hang out. Let's hang out and watch movies <laughs> yeah. together for the rest of our lives. So for for those of you who are thinking about asking somebody out, it's a great pickup line. Hey, you know, Trout gave us hiccups. Want to go out or something? <laughs> yes, please. Take me now. <laughs> <laughs> Theboxofoddities.com. Uh, that's a place where you can go and find everything from our merch store to uh, a place where you can actually send us messages. But we also encourage you, it's probably easier for you to just send us an email, curator at theboxofoddities.com. We love hearing from you. We appreciate uh, you getting to us and giving us your ideas for shows or corrections when we say things wrong. Now, actually, I don't enjoy that at all, but I can admit when I'm wrong. Thankfully, it doesn't happen often. That was wrong, wasn't it? It's all right. We'll talk about it on the next episode. <laughs> Until then, keep flying that freak flag. <laughs> Fly it proudly. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast On Twitter at Box of Oddities and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast Copyright 2018 All rights reserved hey, Thank you Look at Two, three, four, five my name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? 
Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.